Hi, everyone, and welcome to the second episode in our Q2 2021 Pulse of Payments series. Today's guest is Lawrence Lee, a partner at Baker McKenzie. Prior to joining Baker McKenzie, Lawrence was a in-house counsel for the digital currency exchange Coinbase, where he led all corporate and strategic transactions and investments. He's been repeatedly acknowledged in the legal industry as an authority on tech M&A. In 2020, he was selected by Law360 as a top attorney under 40 in the technology sector. For several years in a row, Lawrence was named a rising star in mergers and acquisitions by California super lawyers. So Lawrence, hello and welcome to the show. Hey, Greg. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to our chat. Yes, me too. Me too. So first question, let's talk about M&A and payments and fintech. Give us an overview of where we are today and where you think we're headed. So I think we're in an extremely exciting period for fintech generally, but also in M&A. I think coming out of the pandemic as as the world starts to emerge from the pandemic, some of the lessons that we learned over the course of the last 12 to 18 months is that Every company, no matter what space you are in, you really need a digital offering in order to be able to compete. And you need to be able to reach your customers wherever they may be, whether it's in a brick and mortar store or whether they're at home on a couch. And the backbone to allow that type of commerce is really the fintech space. Specifically on payments, I think recently Accenture estimated that by 2023, Over 420 billion transactions worth over $7 trillion are anticipated to switch from cash to cards and digital payments. So I think this is all just a lot of accelerant to further push the industry. And as we see rapid growth in the industry, what we'll also see is a lot of significant M&A activity as the large players in the payment space and the fintech space generally, so the, the Stripes and the Squares and the Coinbases of the world, are going to be using M&A transactions to really drive their global expansion efforts and also to help them diversify their own product offerings that they have for their customers. So I'm seeing this with my own clients as they are implementing strategies that combine both M&A acquisitions with organic growth and organic development to really compete in, in new markets and new verticals. I think this added on with potentially new technologies on the horizon and new use cases in the space. I think we're just going to see a huge continuing level of growth. Yeah. Do you think there's a difference between these bigger companies buying, you know, are they buying for growth or are they buying for holes in their product set or is it kind of both? I think it's really both. I think from the growth perspective, an M&A acquisition can really help one of these companies drive their growth in a new let's say, geographic region. So as an example, I recently represented a firm on their acquisition of Paybright, which is a buy now, pay later platform in Canada. And that acquisition was a launch point for a firm to enter into the Canadian market. And I'm seeing this with other clients as well. So I think it's both. You also see clients making acquisitions to either add service offerings or to, like you said, plug up some holes in in their offerings, both up and down kind of the vertical supply chain, the value chain. So I think it's a combination of both. Yeah. And we recently, I guess it was announced, I don't know if it was this week or last week, Deluxe bought First American Payment Systems, which, you know, Deluxe had, you know, historically served small businesses, but I think with that acquisition are now going to be able to add merchant services as a product. So I, I think, you know, you're right. We are seeing kind of both. Yeah, absolutely. And you see For example, other companies in the payment space like Stripe, for example, 
trying to roll out things like a debit card or a credit card for their merchant customers and things like that. So just being able to offer different products to their merchant customers, I think is, is a strategic priority for a lot of these companies. Right, right. Well, let's talk about the IPO market. Do you feel like it's slowing down, speeding up, or staying relatively flat for payments in fintech? So obviously, in the last three or four months or so, we've seen a lot of activity in the capital markets for fintech. Most recently, Coinbase's IPO that received a lot of attention, rightfully so. I don't think that it will necessarily slow down. I think we're at a pace, though, that it would be hard to imagine it really speeding up any further. But I do think that we will continue to see IPOs in the space, as well as other methods for these companies to tap into the public markets, SPACs being the one that is first and foremost on my mind, and I'm sure on the minds of many of the listeners. Yeah, that, that's a good segue. And I, I think we can spend some time talking about that. You know, it's relatively new to this space, I think. And maybe could you define what it is? So so anyone out there who's listening may not know exactly what a SPAC is. What is it? Like, how would you describe it? So SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Company. And basically what it is, it is a public company that is a, I guess the best way to describe it would be a shell company. But it's already public, meaning it's already gone through the process of making the necessary filings with the securities regulators to have its shares traded publicly. And through the process of going public, it raises capital, and then it can use that capital, deploy that to acquire a private company. A way to think about it is it is a faster potentially faster way for these private companies to effectively become a public company. So for example, between the signing and the initial filing of a SPAC, a SPAC can be done within, let's say, months, less than that. Whereas an IPO process could be an extremely long and drawn out process that could take the better part of six to eight months. And so the way to think about it is it's a faster way for a lot of these private companies to become public companies. Okay. Beyond the speed, are there other advantages of, of using a SPAC? In addition to the speed to the public market, I think another advantage for SPACs is really around the sponsors, right? These are organizations or entities that have a lot of experience in managing companies as making acquisitions and taking companies public. And so relying on that expertise, I think, is a helpful tool. Another benefit to SPACs is also just the attention that needs to be placed into the process. And what I mean by that is for a lot of these executives that are running these companies, they don't have time to devote a significant portion of their day to a long drawn out IPO process. And you really want to make it easier for them to get into the public market without requiring you know, six, eight, nine months of investment of time, energy, resources. And I think SPACs are a great way to do that. Okay. What are some of the disadvantages of a SPAC? So I think for me right now, one of the primary disadvantages of a SPAC is the regulatory framework and how the regulators are going to be thinking about this. Because I think anytime there's a huge shift in the market or something that's getting a ton of attention, I think the regulators are playing a little bit of a catch-up. And they're starting to do that now. And they're starting to look more closely at some of these SPACs and how how they're doing their deals, the effect that it may have on the public markets. And I think that uncertainty is one of the disadvantages right now for a SPAC. Just you never know how the next 
12 to 18 months could play out. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you read the the payments and fintech periodicals, journals, you know, websites, whatever they are today, there's been in the last, say, two weeks, uh, several articles about how it's slowed down and how, you know, the, the government regulators are, are starting to question some things. So do you feel like that's just a bump in the road or do you think there's possibly a permanent slowdown because of, you know, like you said, the government and the regulators getting more involved? I don't think there will necessarily be a permanent slowdown. Slowdown. I think the way that to think about a SPAC is it's just another tool for a company, a private company to go public or to tap into the public markets. And I think for a private company, they need to look at all of their options, right? And to figure out which one is the best for them. And right now, the advantage of an IPO is that the regulatory framework around that is settled and you know what it's going to look like and you know what needs to happen in order for a company to successfully go public. Now that's balanced against obviously the the amount of time that it could take. I don't think there will be a permanent slowdown. I think it'll just be one of the tools that a private company will use to to think about how they want to go public. Okay. Final question, we can spend some time on this too, is talking about cryptocurrency. It, it's just it it pops up everywhere and you know, I think what our audience would like to hear and understand is sort of your thoughts on what does the acceptance side look like? You know, it's 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 something that there's a, probably an article every day about someone interested or someone has done it or, you know, something. But I think, you know, really the acceptance side of it is is a bit of a of a challenge. But I don't want to put words in your mouth. So so what do you what are your thoughts on cryptocurrency holistically and then specifically on the acceptance side? So I think we are at the tip of the iceberg in terms of cryptocurrency and what others like to refer to as the crypto economy. I think that obviously the Coinbase IPO shines a bright light on the space. And I think that it's going to do a lot to drive adoption and drive interest in the space. But in terms of actual use cases that can really affect the lives of ordinary people, I think we're still a ways away from that. Um, And I think in addition to acceptance, I think there's still challenges to be had in terms of the regulatory framework and ensuring that it's a consistent regulatory framework. I think there's a little bit of challenge there. And I also just think that right now it's, you know, if you go on Twitter or you go on Reddit or you go on any publications, a lot of people are talking about crypto, obviously, but I feel like in terms of actual new technologies that are being developed in the space, we're still pretty early in the life cycle, I would say, of the crypto economy. So I think, long story short, I'm extremely bullish on the space. I think that it's going to completely change and revolutionize the way we conduct financial transactions and the way we think about money. But I think that we are still a ways off from actually realizing the potential of the crypto economy. And do you think, I mean, like, I guess typical technology is is adopted by, you know, the early adopters and, you know, is it true or, or you know, can you walk in and buy a Tesla with, with cryptocurrency? You absolutely can. I've, I've thought about doing that myself recently when Bitcoin was uh, skyrocketing. Um, but I do think that, yeah, you, you absolutely can. There are use cases. I, I don't necessarily think that Bitcoin is the best cryptocurrency to process day-to-day transactions with. And the reason I say that is it does take more time. It's not, for example, getting a new block written to the blockchain for Bitcoin is not instant, 
right? It takes it takes time and it takes energy. Um, so I think that Bitcoin may not be necessarily the best cryptocurrency to use for day-to-day transactions, but I do think that Bitcoin is probably the backbone of the crypto economy generally. In terms of other adoption and use cases, I mean, I think, like I said earlier, we are still a ways off. I think that Bitcoin is a necessary store of value for the crypto space. I think that folks are now starting to realize that it's an important, in any diversified portfolio, it's important to start to think about investing and buying cryptocurrencies as well as part of a diversified portfolio. But right now, we're still a ways off from actual day-to-day use cases that make sense, right? Like if you walk into a Whole Foods and you pull up your Apple Pay, you're not yet able to use Bitcoin to pay for it, pay for your groceries. And even if you were, I would kind of think about whether or not it makes sense, right? Because you could be spending a hundred bucks worth of Bitcoin today that would be worth a thousand dollars a week from now. So, so I think we're, we're just still a ways away from actual having day to day use cases. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good example. Well, Lawrence, we've covered a lot of topics from the M&As and IPOs and SPACs and all these acronyms and cryptocurrency. Is there anything else you wanted to talk about before we wrap up? I think the the final thing would be I'm very excited for where the space is headed generally. I think that there's a lot of growth still both in fintech and in crypto. And so I'm excited to see how the next few years plays out. Really appreciate you having me as well, Greg. Oh, absolutely. No, thank you for your time. I, I know you're, you're very busy, so I, I appreciate your insights and your time today. Thank you. And to learn more about Lawrence and Baker McKenzie, please visit bakermckenzie.com. And to all you listeners out there, I thank you for your time as well.